I gotta send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I gotta do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. All right, boys and girls, here we go. The last three seminars of 2022. Next one up, August 12th through the 14th. That's half sold out already. Then October 14th through the 16th. Then December 9th through the 11th. For camps on the list, we do have a coaching development camp on the list covering how to coach the squat. That's October 1st in Columbus, Ohio at Starting Strength Columbus. Then we have a self-sufficient lifter camp in Wichita Falls on September the 10th. Deadlift and power clean camp. That's on August 20th in Indianapolis. Then we have a few squat and deadlift camps on the list July 30th in London. That one has two spots left at the time of this recording. Then Bergen, Norway on August 21st. And Beaverton, Oregon on August 27th at Starting Strength Beaverton. Then a couple three-lift camps on the list covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift. Greenville, South Carolina on August 27th. And Brussels, Belgium at Brussels Barbell on September 17th. Starting Strength Gym's update. Tampa has found a location. Tulsa is building out. Several more gyms on the list, but we still need coaches. So if you're interested in becoming a coach, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com, check out the coaching tab, and get linked up with Ina. That's Ina, not Inna. Either way, fill out the form and get in a touch with Ina so you can find out more about the process. And as usual, for more information about anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, we're here with uh, with Dr. Jessica Rose this week, and I know you guys are probably tired of hearing about COVID nineteen, but I'm not, and neither is she. And we are going to talk about it. And if you're tired of it, go away. All right. But this is one of the most important things that's happened in the history of the human race, not because it's a disease but because we have decided to treat it as something that it's not. And uh, the, the reasons for that remain to be discovered. But what does not remain to be discovered is the fact that our reaction to this is blown all out of proportion to the risks the disease poses. And this has been used as an opportunity and we're going to talk today with dr rose about some of the mechanisms by which this opportunity has been pursued thank you for joining us jessica sure do appreciate your time thanks for having me i'm glad to be here oh good I'm, a lot of people are not glad to be here uh -huh. but, but if you are <laughs> that's fabulous so um you have several websites, and you're available on social media, and anybody that has studied any of this in any kind of detail knows who you are. Uh, you're, you're a rather prominent critic of a lot of the things that have been done, and uh, 
I'd like to call everyone's attention to uh, your website that is that is called jessicasuniverse.com. And if you go to that website and you just scroll down just to the second card down from the top, there is a there's a graph. We're going to show it to you right now. I want you to look at this graph. The vaccine adverse events reporting system was established by the federal government to track the effects of vaccines and to create a way to monitor any signal that could be produced by a problem with any vaccine. And I want you to look at this graph. It does not take a statistician or even a person of average intelligence to see what is going on here with the recent wave of uh, mRNA vaccines that have been developed to, quote, vaccinate, unquote, against COVID-19. Now, Dr. Rose, how did we get so stupid? You have an opinion on mm. what makes us all so fucking stupid? I I don't I don't understand why everyone has been willing to suspend their ability to analyze even the most simple of data sets. Well, I don't think people are stupid as much as I think that they're hypnotized and the more I look into this and the more I listen to the experts on those subjects and in those fields, the more I'm convinced that it's by design. Um, just, I mean, if you just look at it objectively, I mean, everybody now is, well, pretty much everybody in the world is attached to a, a smartphone, not, not just a cell phone, but a smartphone. And a lot of people spend a lot of time uh, interacting with the messages, the programming that's going on there. So there, it's easy for me to imagine how it happened. I'm shocked that it was so effective, though. That's, that's what surprises me. So just to backtrack a little bit, this system, it's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System of the United States. And it came into effect as a means to uh, detect safety signals from the use of um, vaccines in the United States for anybody. You know, it could be for kids, it could be for adults. Um, I believe it's also used for pharmaceuticals, but primarily for vaccines. So it's been pretty, pretty even steeped for the last 30 years. I mean, it came out in 1990. Um, and since then, the average number of adverse events for all the vaccines combined, even though the number of vaccines on the childhood schedule, for example, has increased, has, has maintained itself around 39,000 reports per year for all the vaccines combined. Uh, same story for death, same story for any adverse event that you check. Uh, there's, you know, probably about 125 deaths per year for all the vaccines combined. Now, I think it's important to point out, and and this 
sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. The VAR system is um, re- reports data from all vaccines, from all vaccines, all of the vaccines that are being given, not just the Pfizer, Moderna nonsense, but all vaccines together. And nothing has been detected in terms of a, an increase in the number of deaths or adverse events from all of the other vaccines. And yet, let's look at this graph again. What do you see for the past two years? And note that 2022 is not over yet. What you see, that spike is not the result of the diphtheria vaccine, the smallpox vaccine, or any other vaccine that is that is being given across the population. There's only one new type of vaccine available. And look what's happened. Now, Jessica, this is, it's troubling to me that, I mean, why do we have an FDA? Why do we have a CDC? Why do we have a National well, Institute of Health? What in the hell are these people doing there besides pocketing a huge amount of money from the pharmaceutical companies? And people don't, you, you realize that nobody knows that. That 5% yeah. of all of that revenue goes right back in to these agencies? Nobody knows that. Yeah, you make a really good point. Uh, a lot of what's happened here is really just based on the fact that people don't actually know what's going on. Um, It's amazing to me, too. I I just want to point something out. Um, A colleague of mine, Toby Rogers, who's a genius, uh, said something so succinctly today. Um, He pointed out that, I mean, even though he had an interview with Steve Kirsch, and he's talking about this FDA meeting that passed, uh, the verb pack meeting that passed in the last two days. And for those of you who don't know, um, the this panel of judges, 21 people uh, in the FDA, were given, they were presented with data. They were presented with hundreds of thousands of comments from people who are raising concerns about these newly produced Moderna and Pfizer safety documents in quotations. And it's just amazing to me how nobody knows that these processes are going on. Nobody knows how implicitly and inherently flawed these these studies are. I don't even know if I want to call it a study uh, to, to so-called prove safety and efficacy of these products in babies. Why is it necessary to vaccinate a baby against a disease that has no effect on babies? Why, if I were a suspicious person, I might wonder about that. I might wonder about the fact that preventing a disease in a baby that does not get the disease might not be the reason for for the administration of that vaccine to babies. 
Now that would that might be, you know, ugly and and what conspiratorial of me, but uh, you know, normally it's the money, right? Normally it's the money, but in in a situation like this. You know, I hate to be one of these people that speculates on on such things, but uh, this makes no sense. These people are supposed to be educated professionals, and 21 of them agreed unanimously that we need to vaccinate well, babies. Yeah, that's the thing. They're supposed to be, they always have been, well, that's well, questionable. Yeah. They're supposed to be the stopgap between the pharmaceutical companies and the people, because we know anybody can just Google this if, or whatever browser you want to use, um, that Pfizer has paid out about two, 2.3 billion in fines. I think they've, they've, they've paid out the most in fines and lawsuits of any pharmaceutical company in the world. Of Everybody any, should know. Jessica, of any company in the world. Right. Of right. any company we, in the world. Exactly. So it's it's not their job to produce uh, healthy medicine for you. No. They're trying to make money. They, they're a business. Their model is to profit. Now, we have... The, the regulatory bodies in place, the FDA and the CDC, as they're in place working for us to ensure that those products are safe for the people. Because Pfizer, Moderna, whoever, Merck, they can make whatever they want. And they can, you know, they can say, you need to take this pill because it's going to help you be healthy. <laughs> but they're, they might be lying just to sell their product. Well, Imagine it could that. be, yes. That's that's kind of a so, possibility. The reason why people like me and Peter McCullough and Robert Malone and all, all of us sound crazy when we talk about this stuff is because it is crazy what they're doing. I, yes. I implore everybody here to, to go on my Twitter. It's Jess Loves MJK. And watch the video that Claire Craig just made. She will explain to you in two minutes why the Pfizer document for safety is deplorable. And this is the document that was presented to the FDA committee yesterday. And this is the document that they ignored and they passed these products through without any, any thought. Why will of, Twitter of, leave this up? I don't know. I have a strange relationship with Twitter. I think it has to do with the fact that I haven't reached enough followers because I literally just joined last month. But um, yeah, it's I'm I'm waiting for it. But I'm I'm keeping an eye on it because Ed Dowd, my friend, just got booted again, and he says once you reach about fifty thousand, you'll get booted. So it's a numbers thing, not a not a not a keyword thing. Apparently, I don't know. So yeah, the regulatory bodies, just like in the housing market crash, they're not doing their jobs. They're the responsible parties. And it's that simple, everybody. It's that simple. Talk about the funding situation, because this is this is such an obvious uh, conflict of interest, such an obvious problem, and such an obvious <laughs> source of... Uh, 
layer after layer of bullshit is just it's it, but it's the 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 fact of the matter is that the FDA derives five percent. FDA derives funding from the pharmaceutical companies because they are required by law to submit five percent of their net revenue to the FDA. Now, am I getting? I've got to be getting some of that wrong. What is the actual deal? I, I'm not sure of the actual numbers, but uh, that, that doesn't sound unreasonable to me. And let me tell you about a uh, conflict of interest. So one of the voting members uh, has a serious financial conflict of interest and stands to gain for his company $2 million if the, if the products get passed through. Now, this was the last FDA uh, VERPAC meeting that I had attended, but I, I saw that this person was maintained as a voting member. So listen, I've seen this in publications, pure publications, and I saw it at the VERPAC meeting. You have to declare conflicts of interest. You have to do that. But apparently, if you have one, it doesn't matter. You just have to declare it, and then they'll say, oh, it's no big deal. We don't mind if you stand to gain $2 million if this passes. Right. We see that in publications. It's, so the, it, the way that things are meant to work to ensure safety, efficacy of products, just specifically to this situation, doesn't exist anymore. It is crazy what's happening right now. Right. And if you and I talk about it, we sound crazy because... It's crazy. Because it is. Not because we're crazy. Yes. But because no. it is if crazy. If you tell the truth about the data, yeah. If you tell the truth about the data, that there's an over 10,000% increase in deaths in 2021 over all vaccines combined over the past 30 years in VAERS, you sound crazy. But it's just the data. It's just, the, those are the, the numbers. The data is not crazy. Those are the numbers. Those the are the CDC's numbers. Those are not your numbers. These are not McCulloch's numbers or Malone's numbers. These are CDC numbers. And And by the way, people, these numbers are people. These are injured people who went to the trouble, the extensive trouble, I might add, to take all the time and the effort, and it's a lot of effort to get a report filed to VAERS to file an injury report that occurred in temporary proximity to the injection that they got this is what i this is another thing i want to talk about the vares data is uh quite inadequate and uh i was i was made aware of this uh through your material the other day it it takes apparently 25 or 30 minutes for a trained individual to file a vares report or anyone, yeah. Or, or you, you can, it, it just, as a citizen, it, you're, you can absolutely file a VAERS report. You can do it with your doctor. Most of the VAERS reports, like 75% in the context of the COVID-19 products in the U.S. have been filed by medical professionals. Somebody, a colleague of mine did a study on this. But VAERS, the worst part about VAERS is the underreporting factor. So... We, we know this has also been studied, the, 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 the studies are in peer-reviewed journals that, that prove 
that we know that theirs is underreported. And what does that mean? It means that only a percentage of people will ever file a report to theirs. So the actual number of people suffering is misrepresented. So we have to calculate somehow how many people are actually suffering and we can make that assessment using the VAERS data. I've done this. Uh, I, I published this in a paper last year. And my assessment was 31 based on the Pfizer phase three clinical trial data, their, their assessment of the rate of severe adverse events. And that means that you have to multiply any uh, absolute count, like say the number of deaths is 15,000, well, actually, don't let me, I, I'm not going to use deaths because the underreporting factor for deaths is probably uh, lower than for, say, I don't know, another one like uh, uh, asthenia or something. So you multiply whatever the absolute number of reports is by 31. So think about that. Because the, the factor of 31 applied to each one of the adverse events reports gives yeah. you something close to the actual number. Something like that. So we don't know exactly what it is, but we know that it's somewhere between uh, 10 and 100. <laughs> right. I mean, it, we don't even need the underreporting factor to to see, like, I mean, it, the graph that you pointed out. You, you don't need any, like, statistics to right. see the difference there. I call it the bungalow skyscraper plot because it's like, it's so evident that there's a huge, there's something happened in 2021. Right. You can even leave out 2022. I mean, something happened. Something is different. Something is anomalous. And that's precisely what VAERS is, is for. It's working very well in spite of the fact that it's pretty much an antiquated, laudable system. Problem. So, yeah, it's... Well, uh, you know, it, if it takes... 25 or 30 minutes to file a VAERS report. And most of these things are being filed by medical personnel. So you've got a 10, 12-hour shift at a hospital, and you've dealt with 10 patients uh, because of the nature of your job who have experienced an adverse event from a vaccine. Well, that's, that's five hours to yeah. file the reports and you got to go home yep yeah and it's it's so preposterous to assume that you're looking at a fair representation of what's going on and that and the the exaggeration is on the is is on the downside here on yeah oh absolutely like, i'm always very conservative yeah and don't forget that doctors and nurses are being highly incentivized not to report oh, uh, vaccine. They're, they're, they're financially incentivized. We know, we know that there's been uh, financial shenanigans involved in all of this from the beginning. I mean, there are people whose, uh, there's one man whose son died within ten temporal proximity of one of his shots. He was 16. And uh, apparently he got a phone call uh, with a huge amount of money offered to him to change the cause of death on the death certificate to COVID. And the father said, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. Right. And of course, he's got 
very public. And so we, we know that this is going on because regular people, just regular Americans are telling us it's happening and they don't have a reason to lie. These are just normal right. people who shafted. Yeah, these are normal people who died in car wrecks or with gunshot wounds that have uh, had their deaths coded as COVID-19. Now, we've all heard, if we've been paying any attention, we've all heard of this. We're all aware of the fact that the, the, of the distortion that's being uh, applied to the data. And uh, it, it may not be uh, obvious why that might be to a lot of people, but there are financial incentives to code for COVID-19 as a cause of death. Yes, right? big ones per, per patient. Do you have any of the numbers on that? I can't remember, but it's preposterous. And, and it doesn't even matter to me because that, that shouldn't be happening. We, I mean, uh, I know we that heard about two years yeah. ago that the, the hospitals were being paid $19,000 from, this is from the federal government, $19,000 for a COVID-19 diagnosis and $39,000 for moving one of those people into the ICU. Now, yeah, I, yeah, I this is that. our little hospital here in Wichita Falls is uh, a, a very, very successful criminal organization. Uh, they are famous all over the state for being the place you don't want to go when you get sick. Yeah, they're uh, not the only hospital. No, like I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure of that. This is a. Uh, this particular little thing here in Wichita Falls is is remarkable uh, for their reputation, and uh, wow. I've I've heard from you know I know people that work down there and they they tell me horrible things all the time. So nothing, nothing whatsoever surprises me about what goes on down there and what goes on in hospitals all across the country. Because of the, it's shocking, though, right? it really is. It it, it honestly is. A, is supposed to be a building where you go that's filled with medical professionals to help you, and right. it's become the opposite of that. Right. Like I would never go to a hospital, and I would oh, never recommend no, anyone no, I love. I'm not going to a I've, hospital unless I've got arterial bleeding, you know, or unless I'm know. unconscious enough to not be able to tell them not to take me there. But, uh, you know, yeah. this is a building full of people who won't wash their hands. Yeah. That's that's what it is. Can you imagine if people just had basic hand hygiene, how different uh, everything okay, You can't, you know, I mean, I've, I've been in a hospital situation where the nurse has come in and I'd say, could, could you, would you please wash your hands? Wash hands first. And, the, and they're, all, they're offended. Of course they are. They're offended. Because they don't wash how, how dare you insinuate that my hands are dirty? I mean, here I am in a hospital full of sick people. It's just absolutely amazing. So uh, the uh, the VAERS data is being systematically ignored. Yes. It is it is being systematically ignored. It it exists for a reason. The reason it exists, the reason it was established in 1990, is to identify this very thing. Precisely. And it is being ignored 
by everyone except a handful of crazy people, right? <laughs> oh, it gets better than that. It's not only being ignored. There are um, specific trolls who must be incentivized with money whose job it is to trash bears. Now, to me, because it's a federal offense, to file a false fares report, okay? You can go to prison for that. It, it should also be some kind of federal offense to call VARES a dumpster because they call people who analyze VARES data dumpster divers. So I suppose everyone at the FDA and the CDC are also being called dumpster divers. But I take great offense at that because the reason I'm doing this is for the injured people. I want to be as loud as I can for them. And if you call theirs a dumpster, you're basically calling all of those people junk or garbage, and you're, you're just completely undermining them and taking away their opportunity to, to have a voice. It's really bad. I mean, if, if those people had an opportunity to speak face-to-face -face with Bree Dressen, for example, or Maddie DeGray, or anyone who's suffering right now, I wonder if they might stop their language use. You know what I mean? Dumpster. Now, isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. We create a repository for information for the purpose of finding problems. Yeah. A the repository database. identifies a problem and now you call it a dumpster. Yeah, you know, I'm calling it just, a dumpster. There is, it is, it is just. So, what do you? Well, let's talk about that later because I this is this is so disturbing uh, on on so many levels. Uh, I want to talk about the 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 article that you published three or four days ago and uh that one was reported on your posted on your substack page what is what's the address of the substack page for everybody jessicar.substack.com jessica r at jessica jessica okay at substack.com and it was it was interesting that uh, there was a couple of photographs uh, on that on that post that were uh, that were very very interesting. Could you talk about that for us? This is I I found this to be uh, very very important. Yeah, it is. It might actually be more important than anyone knows. Right. So there's a very small group of us now who've kind of um, can, can coalesced, let's say, on an idea or a theory as to why we're seeing the adverse event types that we're seeing. So everybody knows probably that there's cardiovascular related injuries. Everyone's heard the word myocarditis neurological injuries, microclots, D-dimers. I mean, everybody's kind of heard these words, right? Well, there's one thing that kind of brings all that together. So the fact, first of all, the fact that a, a handful of us kind of came to this independently is, is 
is evidence itself for me. Um, and the, the, the idea is that the, okay, this is going to get a bit technical. Good. So we know that the spike protein of SARS is the mechanism by which the virus uses to gain entry to cells through its receptor, which is called ACE2. So that spiky part is the part that they used in the lipid nanoparticles, which are the fat bubbles that carry these mRNAs that we call them into the human body. So these modified RNAs are supposed to be the, the uh, blueprint, let's call it, for the spike protein. So the idea was to introduce this spike protein to the human such that their immune system would mount a response so that when you meet the real virus, it'll recognize the spike and take out the virus. So and the spike protein what does what? So this, this is the, the, the scary part. The spike protein in the injections, the Moderna and the Pfizer, have been modified. The, the, by the way, this isn't me, like, conjecture. This is the facts. No, that I'm, I'm, I'm right asking now. what the spike protein on the virus does. Oh, how it, it how allows is that the, pathogenic? Well, it's 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 the outer it's on the outer shell of the virus, and it uses that spike in order to bind to its receptor ACE two, which is on many 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 human cells. ACE two uh, um, is on epithelial cells, for example, and it uses that to bind, change conformation, and enter the cell to infect cells. Right. So that's its use in its native form. So the spikes that are independent that are translated from the modified RNA in injections is interesting. So we know from published papers that there are these little short bits. This is gonna get technical, but bear with me. You can read my substack called peptides, which are literally just, you know, strings of amino acids. Little pieces them. of protein, kinda, right. Exactly. Like if you take a protein and you cut it up into little bits, they're called peptides. Let's let's do it that way. OK, so we know through peer reviewed studies that some of these peptides are what we called amyloidogenic, which means that they can form amyloid uh, plaques and amyloid plaques, not to get too technical, are just uh, protein deposits that the body can't clear. So imagine that you have this is what causes we well no this is what is associated with mm. alzheimer's, alzheimer's so these are called beta amyloid plaques they're specific to you know the brain so th we know that this happens and we know that it's devastating if if you get a diagnosis apart from all this covid crap of amyloidosis it's not good okay so what me and a couple other people have been converging on right now, and we're just developing an hypothesis at this point, but it has been, uh, there are papers that are coming out to confirm this, um, that the spike, the modified spike protein does, I know this, it does contain some of these same peptides. So it's possible with a couple of amino substitutions. So it's possible but the reason why we're seeing all of these these clotting issues, including and the myocarditis issues as well, is because people are developing amyloid plaques systemically. Because we were told 
that the product, once it's injected, stays at the injection site in the local draining lymph node, but that's not how it works. We have studies that show that too. Pfizer safety data shows it to us, for example. <laughs> Biodistribution heavily. So the lipid nanoparticles, they're nanoparticles. They go everywhere. They cross the blood-brain barrier. They accumulate in high concentrations in the ovaries, the adrenal glands, in the liver, in the spleen, in the testes. These are places it's not supposed to be. And you know what? We don't know what the effect of the accumulation of these lipid nanoparticles is. And subsequently, we don't know the effect of the dump of its payload, which is this modified mRNA, to get translated into these potentially amyloidogenic bits of protein. We don't know. But it's very possible that that's what we're seeing. Personally, I feel very strongly that this is what's going on right now. It's, and if it is, it's, we need to find solutions fast. So the amyloid plaques are really the problem and not the clots. Is that? Well, they are the clots. That's the Oh, they're, they're, the, they're the basis of the clotting. Right. Okay. Clots form around them, and that's they're the seed for the Well, clot. they are the clots. So we're not talking about, like, just a blood clot, which is like a gooey, like, right. gelatin type thing which kind of accumulates you, you have two things that can go on you can have obstruction of a vessel which from a plaque you know how, right. how we talk about uh, atherosclerosis it's called i'm not right. sure but closing off of the right. lumen of the of the vessel exactly so it's harder for the blood to flow through right. and then if you have clotting factors accumulating then this this tiny little clot can obstruct the flow of the blood and then you have you know these problems associated with it so if there's damage to the lining of the blood vessels which there would be if the ace2 is binding the ace2 is on the epithelial lining and it's uh getting damaged by the immune system, let's say, because there are spike bits, there are antigenic bits mounted on these cells and on, on other cells. Anyway, an immune response ensues, inflammation happens, the process goes like this, circular, mediators are called to the site. And this is where, if you have the accumulation of an amyloid plaque, this is just an idea, by the way, you could run into problems. So, I'm still I'm form I'm formulating this in my head because I'm not a cardiologist I'm not a neurologist I'm a, I'm an immunologist at, at best and so but but I think this really does explain uh, so much of what we're seeing because the one thing I've been saying this whole time that has astounded me the most about the the adverse events the the enormous range of adverse events which we've also never seen before people um it we're at over ten thousand different types of adverse events by the way is the systemic nature of the damage i mean there isn't a system in the human body that doesn't seem to be affected by this i mean what the hell connects all that right so you know i might be wrong i i, I hope i'm wrong but it, it does seem to connect the dots really well also i i just wanted to like point out that uh I had an idea, like everybody knows what myocarditis is now. This is the inflammation of the myocardium of the heart, mm. uh, which is the mid part of the heart, the muscly part that uh, allows the heart to beat. Right. And I'm wondering if um, 
if what we're not seeing in all of these myocarditis diagnoses isn't cardiac amyloidosis, because the symptoms, the primary symptoms, I, I got the a list of primary symptoms of cardiac amyloidosis from um, from the Johns Hopkins website, and I got a list of uh, the myocarditis uh, primary symptoms from the Mayo Clinic, and they're identical. Cardiac amyloidosis primary symptoms present as shortness of breath, fatigue, swelling in the legs, heart palpitations, lightheadedness, myocarditis, breathing difficulties, chest pain, fatigue, swelling in the legs, rapid heartbeat, lightheadedness. Mm-hmm. It's the same. So I'm like, I wonder, you know, it, it, in my mind, again, I'm not a cardiologist, but in my mind, it really does also help to explain why people are just seemingly dropping dead without even having time to put their hands in front of their face. That really, really, really interests me. Because imagine your heart loses its elasticity. There are amyloid plaques forming in and around it, and it just can't, you know, it's not elastic anymore. What would happen? So again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a theory. Oh, by the way, if anyone wants to read some amazing work on this, uh, Walter Chestnut has a substack as well. He, he, he's been writing about this for a long time. He was way ahead of me. But uh, when I finally got here, it's like I, I, he's a great resource to like go back right. and, and see his, his chronology of the events. And but that's I, Walter I think Chestnut, those of you that want to look him up on Substack. He's really clever. Now, uh, here's a rather obvious question that, uh, that I think has, has just not been addressed. If amyloid plaques in the heart are interfering sufficiently with cardiac function that it it kills you, you would think that that would be obvious upon autopsy. Yes. And yet, and yet, I've seen no paper that collates the autopsy results of COVID-19 deaths at all. I haven't seen one paper that collates autopsy information from people that died of COVID-19. Now, we have a disease here that has basically shut down the economy of the world and adversely affected the society of the world. And we don't have a paper on cumulative autopsy reports. Now, I find this to be extremely, to use a modern term, problematic. I remember back, I'm so old that things just used to be a problem, but now they're problematic. A guy with no known previous pathology, no uh, no comorbidities at all, healthy, 40-year-old approximately guy, just falls over dead, and we're seeing this. If you are able to ignore this, then you have got a better filter than I do because, you know, football players... 
you know, European football players. We call it soccer here. But these guys, Australian rules guys, athletes all over the world, falling over dead at the age of 29. This doesn't yeah. happen. It doesn't there occur. Stories. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a Magnum PI or anything, but uh, when you see like multiple events out of place and it becomes, it goes from being anecdotal to like a subpopulation. Right. That's what you need to like look a little bit harder. So it, it, it's, it's striking how many more uh, yes. deaths or have ha have like just deaths. We're just talking about deaths now have occurred without an explanation. So well, you know autopsy. what's weird is, what's weird is is when you mention this to people, what they say. Well, you know what happens. Well, you know what, what? it doesn't. It doesn't happen all the time that thirty-nine-year-old people fall over dead, and an autopsy is inconclusive. That doesn't happen if well, the autopsy was inconclusive then the autopsy didn't take long enough damn straight you know it's not it's not inconclusive what it means is the pathologist didn't tell you what happened that could be because he doesn't know or it could be because he's being paid not to now god damn i'm real sorry to have to say that but Boys and girls. I'm sorry that's happening. I mean, like this whole autopsy avoidance thing started ages ago. And I'm sure everybody remembers this. You know, they, COVID was scary and they didn't have the proper PPE and they didn't want to risk people's lives by opening up the bodies that died from COVID. But like, I think it's pretty clear now to everyone who's looked at the data and who's looked at what's actually going on that that was all smoke and mirrors it still is we can put this to rest simply and tomorrow if we just start doing autopsies 100 percent. hey they there do autopsies if you died of bubonic plague now that's right? kind of contagious too isn't it but nobody ever wondered you know about the cause of death from bubonic plague because they autopsied the guy and the pathologist knows how to do this without getting sick doesn't he yeah that's right I, so it's we have a handful of autopsies but like you said this is a global phenomenon and over five billion people have inject been injected with this crap so it's it's really 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 strange that we're not doing autopsies now because everybody is reporting the same thing in multiple types of data. In all-cause mortality in Canada, by province, they have uh, excess deaths. Nobody has any idea why. Nobody's even mentioned that it could be the injections, which is also bizarro world. Because what changed in 2021? Two things. Everybody got injected in Canada, like 97% compliance rate. and. There's an excess reporting of all-cause death. It's it's or mortality. It's come on. I mean, it's this is why the people like me and 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 everybody else are just we're getting really 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 frustrated because it's so obvious now what's going on. It's fraud. There, th this is a huge fraud. Yes. I mean, listen. There's no other conclusion. No, and and we will be able to prove this. It's easy because they all it's all written down. Uh, 
Um, like I said, Claire did a really brilliant summary in two minutes of, of why the Pfizer safety data that came out just in time for this VerbPAC meeting is, is, is insane. It's literally insane. Um, no mother who actually understood the simplicity of the insanity would bring her baby anywhere near those shots if she cared about her baby. I'm not being dramatic. That's the truth. Yes. If you knew that one in, you, your baby had a 1 in 71 chance of having a severe adverse event, and that includes a febrile seizure, which when your baby is 6 to, you know, 2 years old, is still learning to, uh, to use it, the muscles in its neck, etc. It's developing, neural development is definitely not complete. If you have a seizure that will have lasting neurological and possibly physical effects. This is not something that's gonna come and go. It's going to be damaging your baby potentially for a lifetime. Do you want to take that risk? One in 71 and one in 82 for the other shot. Well, and, and mothers data. aren't being Their told data. this. They aren't being told this, that I suppose we could lay the blame at the feet of mom who didn't bother to ask, you know, and that really is where it, it belongs. But society being like it is, we are creatures that have been bred to trust authority. We have been, we have been shepherded in that direction for millennia. We trust authority. That's how we get along together in society. And if the doctor, I mean, after all, he is a doctor, says that it's okay to give my baby the shot, then, you know, you've been, you've been trained to give the baby the shot. You know, I, I, this is a, this is not headed in a good direction for, for the human race. It really is not, uh, no, and I hate to say this, but um, I'm going to be monitoring very closely. I'm not saying that VAERS is going to be a good reflection because another problem with VAERS is that it's severely vetted. And if they, it, there's a huge backlog as well. So it's going to take some time for the baby reports to roll in. But I'm going to be closely monitoring this. And it, it's not going to be good. I mean, the, the number of uh, representative young people uh, like six, we're talking six months to 23 months in the youngest age group that were not even included in the end of the trial is, is very large. So the sample size is very small. And even in that small sample size, the data is bad. It doesn't show efficacy at all. It shows terrible effect efficacy and it shows a bad safety profile. So it's it's I don't I don't think this is gonna go down real well. Well, I, there's nothing we can do though because we we're saying it out loud. We told we informed the FDA, we informed the CDC. We're doing our best, but that information needs to get to the parents, and it's not getting there. The censorship thing is really powerful. It amazes me that these people who have proven beyond any reasonable doubt that they will do anything. They will say anything to perpetuate 
whatever the hell it is that they're trying to get done. It, it puzzles me that they have left the VAERS system intact, if in fact it is intact. Puzzles me too, quite honestly. I mean, they, they need to get rid of that. You know. Yeah, they do. My colleagues at Open Vares are like, why is it still there? Like every week we're like, yeah, so tomorrow is Vares Day for us. And every week we're like, okay, yeah, I wonder if this is going to be the week when they when they put it to bed. <laughs> they're going to have to. They're going to have to. They're, they're letting it kill them. They're, they're killing themselves by leaving it sure alone. Nobody knows about it. And the people that do... Now that they have this, um, this you know, these language uh, demonizers, if you hear the word VARES, you're, you're a crazy person. Like, you, it's, it's really weird because, like, I constantly remind people that VARES isn't a crazy person thing. It's a government database. <laughs> right. It's got nothing to do with crazy people. It's a database. Right, and the Plus government's our- not crazy. No, the government well, is good. Anything- the government, the government never does anything wrong because the government's good and the government's benevolent and the government is competent and the government only wants the best thing for you. That's what the government does. They're there for you. I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Right? Those are the magic words. And you know what? All of you fucking people believe that shit. I... I'm embarrassed for you. I really am. Uh, this is, Jessica, this has been a strange couple of years. You know, I mean, we all, we knew without a doubt previously that everybody pretty much was stupid. All right. We know that the generalized IQ data from all over the world, and we know what, we know what, 100 IQ means, and uh, those of us with a little bit higher number than that have always suspected that most of the people in Walmart were not like us. But these past two years have really been, uh, I mean, what... Had you told me five years ago that under these same circumstances, that even now, I would see people driving down the street in a car with the windows all rolled up by themselves wearing a mask. Now, had you told me that, I would have said, no, people are not that stupid. And I can't say that now. You can't say that now. They're hypnotized. They believe. So, yeah, Matthias Desmet has done uh, amazing analytical work on this, and he's even written a book, um, uh, something about uh, dictatorships. I'm sorry, Matthias, I I don't know the title offhand, but we can find it. Um, And he explained in an interview uh, on the Corbett Report that the the neurological processes associated with um, mass formation psychosis, which is how he defines what's, you know, happening right. here. I've with heard the, the term. Like, yeah, it's, it's the exact same processes uh, that happen with hypnosis. So it's, he, he says it's not similar. He said it's exact. 
So it's it's not hard once you really understand that to get why it's it's it, you can literally ask someone who's hypnotized for their wallet and they'll give it to you. It doesn't it's not rational. That's just how it works. So you know, again, I don't know how this happened. I think it has a lot to do with the devices that everyone's attached to. Right. This is one of the the segues. Um, but and, and I, I can't figure out why it is that uh, that there is a small cluster of us who haven't been affected. I really want to do a study one day on whether or not there's a one-to-one -one correlation between uh, the people who aren't affected and the lack of television sets as well, because I don't own a TV. I haven't for well over a decade. I don't watch TV. Um, and nobody that I know, not, I can't think of anyone that I know who's, you know, one of us crazy people right. <laughs> uh, on our, I suppose I should say, who, who does watch TV, who you know, watches legacy. I haven't watched a TV show since Star Trek, The Next Generation. I love that show. Oh, I do Picard. too. I, the last one I ever <laughs> even attempted to watch was Next Generation. And uh, it really, I have... Who was your favorite character? My favorite character? Uh, well, Picard. Don't is, say it right Everybody's right. favorite character is Picard. No, I like <laughs> Dr. Crusher. Oh, yeah. Ooh, Dr. Crusher was... She well, was cool, actually. She was, she was highly underappreciated as a beautiful redheaded woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> she, I like redheaded people, too. Uh, so I, I like most people. And I have a TV. I have a TV, but I since I've, I haven't had the TV on television, I just use it as a movie monitor. I, I don't even stream. I, have, I buy DVDs because I want to own my media, you know, and I... I, so I watch a movie basically every night, but as as far as actual broadcast television is concerned, I haven't watched it in thirty five years. Yeah, and, uh, so it, you're another example. Then I, I wonder if that's not where the the hypnotic messaging or it however is. it was accomplished came from. If you leave it on all day like people do, some of it is going to leak in whether you want it to or not. It, it when I visited my parents, the brain. last. Yeah, I visited my parents for the last time like eight years ago, and they're in Canada and on the west coast of Canada. And mom and dad are like hardcore, uh, what, whatever the, the legacy media channels right. in Canada were, I can't remember. But they, they, they have a very ritualized schedule. Uh, they're also academics. And so in the evening for half an hour, they would have the, the, the news on. Oh, yeah. And the all, news. I was very sensitive to it. Yeah, I was very sensitive to it because I'm not used to the flashing lights and the, and the sensational stuff and the, the loops yeah. of ads. That's the thing that was crazy to me because I was hearing it while we were playing cards in the background and it got into my head and it was like, oh my God, how do you listen to this repetition? It's like it's like a drill sergeant like telling you 50 push-ups every five minutes. And it's all it pharmaceutical ads. Yeah, well, half of it is part. pharmaceutical ads. Yeah. It, it's just it bizarre that that people can just leave this on, and they don't understand what it's doing to them. 
they they don't know the guys that the, it's very the guys helpful. that run the TV networks know very well that if they play an ad often enough that it will eventually be perceived accidentally and that's yeah. what the that's the function of repetition that's right exactly yeah. it's it's a technique i mean it's it a very successful technique as well yeah. and all of the things that these people they're not journalists there are people who read scripts. It's all right. written beforehand. They're actors. And the, only, yeah, the only stories that you hear about are the ones that you're allowed to hear about yes. that serve a political agenda or some kind of profiteering agenda. Yes. It's all agenda. And that's not, it's not conspiracy theory. It's, that's how it is. If you ask anybody who works in media, just ask a friend if you know they work at the CBC or whatever. They'll tell you that's how it works. They have people that study this. I was a disc jockey a long time ago, long time ago. And the function of the program director was to determine when to run the spot clusters on the, during, the, during the course of the hour. Where do you place these to maximum benefit? And they studied the competition. Where are their spot clusters? How do I arrange these spots so that they're going to be perceived? in the way that the, the advertiser wants them perceived, uh, so on and so forth. This is, this is, there are, the companies spend a hell of a bunch of money on, on this type of thing. I mean, what is NBC Sports' revenue during the Olympics, for example? How many billions of dollars do they take in and add revenue? And all of that stuff has been studied, and it is a, it is a science. It's a science. How to place a spot. Yep. Where to place it during the hour. All of these things are, are studied. And if you don't think that the news department is beholden to the advertising department, then you have lost your mind. Because the money comes from the ad. You can't run a story that is in conflict with the nope. people who are giving you money. No. That's a fact. Can't do it. And the problem is, yeah, everyone's, it's one big cluster now. It's like the most incest, incestuous thing ever. There are no, like, entities outside of the bubble that, that will be big enough or have enough reach to tell you, well, except for our... our I shouldn't say that. We, we actually have a lot of independent people who are gaining a lot of traction now. We, you have to go to sites like uh, Rumble and uh, and Odyssey and stuff. But uh, it, yeah, the communities are growing. The problem is getting the people in the legacy media sphere, I call it, to even know about these channels. Well, the, without, the like, legacy media is is there for the money. Now, I, there's not anything wrong with that. Okay, but you are being, you are wrong if you believe that they are telling you the objective truth. You are wrong if you believe that. You cannot be this stupid because these people are there to make money. You know, the, the, the woman reading the news to you at CNN is an actress and that her job is to make you believe what she is saying. Now, why does CNN want you to believe this? And why would you believe it? This is on you, you the consumer of this product. 
are supposed to, you are a consumer of a product. And if you do not understand that, then I guess they've got you right where they want you, don't they? Yeah. You know, that's, that's what this whole thing is about. This is a, uh, this is a, this is a, a mess. This is a terrible mess. You've got otherwise intelligent people who choose to leave the TV on all day, actually believing this nonsense. Because whether or not they want to, and this this people don't understand, whether or not you want to, if you, if it's repeated to you over and over and over again, it by default becomes the truth to you. Now, Joseph Goebbels told us this 75 years ago. The lie repeated often enough becomes the truth. And he was very good at it. But he was a rank amateur compared to the modern broadcast state-run media. He was a rank amateur. He did not have the tools that these people have got. Yeah. He didn't have the tools. If Joseph Goebbels had had CNN, if Joseph Goebbels had had smartphones, man, things might have turned out differently. But these guys now have the tools, and they know how to use them. And they're using them on you. And you had better become aware of the things that people like Dr. Rose and Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough and hundreds of other people are yeah. telling you. And just so everyone knows, none of us are incentivized we, financially. We're, we've lost a lot. Uh, I, I think everybody knows I mean, Pierre Corey's had to switch jobs three times now because of this. Yeah, that poor guy, we, God almighty. Oh, I it's, love him. He's not poor. He's an excellent bull of a man. I love him. He's not poor. He'll be going down fighting well, but for I, sure. I, I mean, I feel sorry for the fact that it's cost, the truth has cost him uh, all, all that trouble, you know? Yeah, no, it, no, it's it's crazy. I mean... You know, we don't even have to get into the censorship issues. It's um, we're we're doing this at personal loss. Okay, we care about our professions. We care about scientific integrity. Um, We care about the truth. We care about people. I mean, most of these people fighting right now who are being called anti-vaxxers, for example, (laughs) are medical doctors with decades, decades of training centuries probably millennia between the the bunch of them and prestigious awards most published authors these are these are the best of the best right. who are coming out i'm i'm tickled pink to call these people my friends now because they're not right. i mean this is one of the upsides of the whole thing i mean but, i've made but some fans if but if cnn tells you people tells you people Dr. McCulloch is an anti-vaxxer, a vaccine denier. And you believe it? They're lying. They're lying to you, and you're supposed to have enough gumption to understand that you're being lied to, and you don't. This, I, you know, 
this requires a, you know, this, this being a, a sentient member of society is kind of a responsibility. And I don't think a lot of people are taking it seriously. I really don't. You know, they don't look well, past this, this initial really, superficial presentation. Yeah, you make yeah. a really good point. I mean, and it's sad because I think most people have devalued themselves. They don't understand how important they are. Every single decision that you make is important because there's a ripple effect. You affect others, they affect others. And this is all, we're all just a, a huge network of, you know, water bags walking around. It's really, really important that people remember that uh, or try and remember that. I don't know how, but um, you have to know by now somewhere inside you, no matter what you feel or what you believe, that something is wrong in the world. Yeah. There, you have to know that somewhere in here. You have to. Because something is very, very wrong. And believe me, everybody, it's not going to get better. No, it, it's not. It's not. This is, this is being given to us. And... Uh, if, and if most you, are accepting it. Right. If you don't understand that this is not a gift that you should accept, then you are going to be uh, adversely affected by it. And uh, these are some odd times we're going through. I mean, things are going to get way worse before they get better. This There's a ripple that has gone through society. It's worldwide. There are economic problems, supply chain problems, uh, all of which seem to go back to the start of 2020. And I don't know what happened, and I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is the fault of the Bilderbergers or the Council on Foreign Relations or any of this other nonsense, but I, it, this certainly seems like an organized something or other to me. No, it has to be because, I mean, if you look at the, at the, the markers, you know, the, the, the things that indicate that yeah. this, like if you look at whether or not this is organized or not, all the markers of it being organized are there. Everything right. kind of happened at the same time, unilaterally, like globally. So, yeah, there are some people who are really, really holding on to it, like our our uh, prime minister in Canada um, and Jessin Yeah down in New Zealand. Um, they're they're not they're never going to give this up because I I think they're the kind of they're they're just too far gone in their training. They were trained. To, to do this, by the way, if you're not aware of that. Mm -hmm. And this is not a... The World Economic Forum is a group of very uh, rich people who are basically trying to create a new kind of world where there is an elite class, which is very small, and the rest of us, which is, you know, this, this is a repeating thing in human history, right. the serfdom it, thing. It happens from time to time. But too many yeah, things are headed in the same direction. For this yeah. to be all just chaos headed downhill, this is, I don't no, see no, a lot the, of chaos here. No, this is very ordered. <laughs> yes, I think that's yeah. inescapable. I think it's inescapable. Well, 
Before we both get committed, I thank you for your time. Dr. Rose, appreciate having Jessica Rose here, and I've enjoyed this conversation with you. But again, thank you for your time, and uh, I appreciate your your making the time to be with us today on Starting Strength Radio. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.